Welcome to the Multitask. This is Dan. It's your boy Fighter. What's going on, guys? So it's a new year, and we're setting our predictions. As we did last year, we want to get our predictions out before anything starts. So what we'll do is we'll keep it simple. We both have five predictions. Uh, Fadi will go, we'll talk about his prediction, then I'll go, we'll talk about my prediction, then back and forth. So, my brother, what is your first prediction for next year? Well, I, I assume out of a few of these will have some overlap. Is my That's just a prediction for the show, right? So, I guess if I do have a prediction that you have, you could just introduce it, and then we could go from there in, in the bigger conversation. So, I'm going to just bring out the elephant in the room. I think this is the prediction we both have on here for the, for the House and the Senate in 2022. I assume you made a prediction. Here's mine. You're not going to like it. I think we're on the different side of the coin here. But I'm going to give you some caveats. I think we lose majority in the House. But I still think we maintain a 50-50 tie in the Senate. And that is not the worst case scenario for us because we can still control half of it. And obviously Chuck Schumer will still be uh, majority leader. So um, I don't know. Do you want to go off that or do you want me to explain why or kind of my feelings? What do you yeah, think? Well, no, well, I'll, I'll respond. So yes, that All was right. on my list. And it was, I think the thing is, our numbering is not necessarily relevant because these are just five predictions, but I had that as my number two, you know, the, the, the right behind number one. But we're on the same page, but with nuance. I am not going to say we're going to hold or lose or win. I will tell you this. I do expect Democrats to outperform what what people expect them to do. Now, quite frankly, outperforming could mean where we would still lose the House and hold on to the Senate, because I think a lot of people expect them to lose both. Yeah. Additionally, um, outperforming could also mean you lose the House, but by not not nearly the the, the ass whooping that people think they'll get. And or you know, outperforming could be inside. So I, I know that's a little vague; it's not quantifiable, but I do think, you know how, even though the Democrats took back the House and the Senate uh, this last time around, I think especially in the House, there was an expectation that we would do it by a much larger margin. And mm-hmm. so we underperformed. So while, while I, I don't feel comfortable, because we, first of all, still don't know what all the maps say, um, I don't feel comfortable saying will we win or lose. I will say that we will overperform or outperform what the expectations are. And that could be losing by a little bit or holding on to one, or it could mean holding on to both, but I just think we'll outperform. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree with you there. My prediction for the House is that we lose the majority, but barely, right? It might be by three or four, where you might be able to pick off a Liz Cheney or somebody who they might not have total control of the House. But I do think that we will keep at least the tie in the Senate. I don't think necessarily we'll get to 51, but I do think that any seats that we lose, I think they're worried about, if I'm not mistaken, Mark Kelly's seat in Arizona, and they're they're a little bit worried about Warnock's seat in Georgia. But I think that the Republicans obviously had a, a retirement in Pennsylvania, if I'm not mistaken, that Democrats are favored to win. And there's another seat that we could pick up that's uh, currently red. So I think we definitely hold on to the tie. I, I do think there's nuance here. There's a lot of different factors. For instance, the biggest factor is Warnock is help gets help from Stacey Abrams. If they're going to be on the same ballot and Abrams is going to get people to the polls, that's going to help Warnock, right? And also, I don't think he will officially announce, but all indications are that Trump is definitely running, right? So I also believe that that helps us. Uh, John, I don't want to say this because it's. I know you think it's voter suppression. I, I am starting to take that mentality. 
if we lose the House, I will look at it as a silver lining for one reason, is Trump will be on the ballot in 2024. And I don't think if they if they do take back the House, Trump being on the ballot is best case for us because it'll get people to turn out. And in, ter- in theory, we could take it back at least to 2024. So the silver lining there is I don't think they will have the House for more than two years, ideally. Yeah. Well, um, that is that is potentially there. But let, let me give you a little bit more reason why I think they'll overperform. Um, I think, you know, as we said before, there's been a few instances in which the trend has, you know, reversed. Uh, the closest was actually 2001, and that was because we were still coming, or 2002, I'm sorry, we were still recovering from 9-11, and there was a lot of unity. I think especially, in, and this is not a prediction about the uh, January 6th commission at this point, but I think what the January 6th commission will do, I think the further right the party goes, it's going to make, uh, I think those swing districts that the Republicans have are not as swingy for them, you know, become potential Democratic favorites or a little bit more toss-ups because of how we do it. And I saw something today that said, even though the numbers are where they're at, even if you were to, if you were to constitute uh, the districts not based upon history, but just the last election, Biden, I think, won more congressional districts than he lost in his current map. So there's there's some elements there. And, you know, I think obviously, and I'm going to talk both as a strategist and an optimist, you know, on, on, on the pod, but I think, you know, we definitely have to hold on to, we definitely hold on to our safe seats, or and we definitely potentially need to hold on to any kind of vulnerable Democratic incumbents. And then, you know, we pick up, you know, the swing seats that we need to pick up. And my big, and I'm talking House right now, but I also think, and I don't know if this would translate to the Senate, but I definitely, I feel in the House that there's probably a handful of seats that the Wassermans and everyone else say are going to be deep red. And we're going to still want to, we're going to steal a couple of those. Couple of those. People forget Lauren Underwood was a steal. Lauren Underwood was not a target that anyone had prioritized. You know, she wasn't handpicked. And when her when her race first started, I'm talking about 2018, the D trip I don't think got involved until maybe August or September of that year, right? So I wonder if there might be a few Lauren Underwood opportunities that we're just not really conscious of. Also, if they played a heavy hand on some of the stuff to do it in Texas, heavy hand on abortion, might that motivate some folks? You know, so that that's again, I I I've, I don't want to quantify a number, and I'm willing to say, and I, and you know, maybe I'm being a coward and saying outperforming the, and and we could still lose, but you know, because but I just think, don't you think that the expectations are so low mm-hmm. that even if we lose, but not not getting blown out, that's considered to be an outperformance. Am I am I correct or? Or wrong in that no, I, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, I definitely think you're correct there. The, I will say this. There's three factors here that I think people aren't talking about enough. The first factor is, um, I don't mean to be crass. I don't, I don't even know if crass is the right word here. I, I don't mean to be insensitive, but there was a lot of COVID deaths that are going to affect total vote numbers. There's Florida had a lot of people die, right? Texas had a lot of people die. California, every state kind of had a lot of people die, right? And a majority of them, again, let me take that back. I don't know if it's a majority of them, but a lot of them tend to be unvaccinated red voters, Trump voters, right? 
and not that that's a good thing. I don't think anybody should have uh, passed for the sake of just a political point, right? But I wonder if that affects if some of these races are down to a thousand or two thousand votes. I wonder if the total vote uh, getters, because it's not as much, are going to affect that. The second thing I want to say is that affects it is what if we get, let's say, the January sixth commission realizes that they might only have a year left, right? And they wrap up their case right around August, September, October. I wonder if there's congressmen or congresswomen who are or senators or senators or senators who are in trouble, right? Like what if Gosar or Jim Jordan or Cruz or what if these some of these people actually get in trouble and they might just lose their seats off the fact that they have to resign or or there's charges, right? So there's another factor there. The third factor is all indications are Trump's running. I think that's good for us. I know we don't want him to run, and I definitely don't want him to win, obviously. But he churns out people on our side. Trump's on the ballot will help us get more voters. So there's those are three things kind of that I think will help us. Right. And before we move on to my next prediction, one other element I want to add to that is that there's still some daylight on both um, Build Back Better and voting mm-hmm. rights. And depending on how those play out, that may factor. So Agreed. my yeah. first prediction, my first prediction is less national in scope, although it could be national. It is national, but uh, not in DC based necessarily. But it's this is that, your second prediction, but right? your first that you're bringing. For my first intro that I'm doing. So uh, quite uh, frankly, we, we, we're gonna probably have eight predictions total because we're gonna double yeah. up on some of them, but whatever. Um, yeah. And we saw this already last week in both San Francisco and in Lori Lightfoot's speech in Chicago, Democrats, at least at the local level, are going to move closer back to a tough on crime model. I'm not sure if that'll translate into Washington and Capitol Hill and even state houses, but you got you got Eric Adams in New York, you got London Breed in San Francisco, and Lori came out, you know, Lori didn't come out as hard as London Breed did, but Laurie came out, especially when you think about some of the dynamics in Chicago, where you have the people who want to lock everybody up and shoot every unarmed black person. And then you have people who think that anything short of a mass murder, you should get, you know, no bail. Right. I, I, my, I made that made up those extremities. Obviously, I'm not I'm not being serious there, but she she came out harder than I think some of the people on the center left or left would like. But I think it's also something that could potentially save her, her mayoralship. But London Breed's doing the same thing. Eric Adams isn't even having to do it. That's how he's coming in. So I just think that Democrats are going to move closer uh, to a, a more tough on crime stance than they've had probably since, um, you know, Trayvon Martin or, or, or Michael Brown. I think I think we're moving back to, to that type of rhetoric. All right, this isn't one that's on my list. I think it's a great prediction. I think it's a, a trend that you see coming, and 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 you're you're following the lead there. I I, I do agree with you, but I think for different reasons. Um, I I talk about this all the time off the record, but I am part of. Uh, I live on the north side of Chicago, and I'm part of these Facebook groups that tend to sway kind of white and and conservative on some level, and and they, I feel like Fox News and all these kind of right wing kind of misinformation tactics ha- might have you think that it's it's uh, a war zone on every single city in the world, and if you walk outside, it's uh, 
uh, Dune and everybody's a man from themselves and everybody has guns and everybody's shooting each other. And we've seen kind of misinformation tactics in Chicago, LA and New York specifically about people who are made it worse than it really is. Um, but the numbers generally speaking, right over trend over decades, crime is obviously way down than it used to be, but numbers from this year to last year are up. Um, everyone's expects, Amazon package to get stolen. Everybody's Cadillac converter at some point is getting stolen. Car robberies are at an all-time high, right? <clears throat> so I, I do agree that there will be some pushback from Democrats to say, look, we got to fix this. And not just for political reasons. It's like just our, our quality of life. And so I, I think that's a good prediction. I think that's something that's going to happen. But I also think that it's not going to cost them voters. I think it's just going to um, be something that they're just focused on because it's good policy. Right. And let me tell you how we arrive, how I believe we arrived here, and I'd love your thoughts on this. You remember when I just when I set that up, I went with a obviously extreme example that you know they want to shoot one side was to shoot everybody short, you know, for, who did anything, and mm -hmm. the other side was to let everyone go short. Of, I'm kind of wrong. I I, I did that to to be extreme, but when you think about it, one of the challenges that we've had, I believe is that most of the criminal justice efforts and most of the criminal justice, you know, energy has been the two extremes. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you literally have, um, you, you literally have some folks who are out there. Um, you, you literally have some folks who are out there um, on the left who you and I both will show up whenever somebody's murder we might march but we're not organizing the marches we're not leading we're just a, we're just a we're just one other body that makes the turnout for the you know the black lives matter protest but you know the one thing is black my black lives matter for the most part has really been at the forefront talks a lot about abolition talks a lot about reimagining and i do think that some of the stuff that they've talked about and, bra and really pushed for us to reimagine is good I, you know i've said that but I don't think that there's been a centrist approach. I think it's either been a tough on crime, which, as you know, turns us off. I was watching WGN News, a clip on WGN News, and it was weird because they were talking about crime all over. And I was just so angry because I don't like what's going on in Cook County in Chicago. But then, yeah, you had some guy who robbed somebody of $60, and he used a knife doing it, so he got a million dollars bail. That doesn't, mm -hmm. And then it happened in DuPage County. That seems heavy-handed. I don't think that there's really been a really good centrist, and I'm not talking centrist like moderate, but I think that especially on the left, we have been our, the energy from Democrats has been driven by the far left flank, not the center flank, not the flank that says, we got to stop shooting unarmed black folks, we got to stop racial profiling, but we still also have to have zero tolerance when it comes to certain types of crime. That ha that's not been who's been leading the discussion on our side. And I think on the other side, it's also the, you know, I think there's people on the other side who have that same type of moderation. What, what are your thoughts? I think that's how we arrived here is what I'm saying. What, what are your thoughts on, on that from a leadership standpoint? Um, I, let me go big picture. And I don't know if we'll answer your question, but here's what I think about the, just the idea in general. Unfortunately, especially in big cities, because it's almost just non-preventable, but a lot of our reaction to crime is, is that reactionary and instead of prevents, trying to prevent it. Right. It's not 
a coincidence that during two years of people losing jobs, not having food, long lines, shipping delays, uh, government assistance lacking, right? Um, it's not a coincidence that people during a pandemic start to go a little crazy and do things that are, are do crimes to try to get by, right? A majority of people don't do crimes because they're evil, right? A majority of people do crimes because they don't feel like they have any other choice. I'm not making excuses for it, right? I'm, I'm saying that if you could start to look at policing and the justice system and crimes, and, and if you start looking at it like a public health thing, which it is, and you could probably try to avoid some of the conversation of should we abolish prisons? Should we have uh, mandatory sentences? All this stuff could be a little bit mitigated if you just start preventing it, right? If you, John, there's a big swell in this country of eat the rich, right? And this idea that all these people got rich while everybody else was suffering during the pandemic. And we got $1,400, $1,200 and $600. That's if you were qualified for it, right? But government government money was mishandled, right? Every Mark Zuckerberg got COVID relief. Tom Brady got COVID relief, right? And these people are billionaires on some level. When, when citizens look at that and they don't have uh, their next meal planned out, you could get really angry and you could resort to crimes because the frustration. So I guess what I'm saying is the the the, re, the way to kind of lower crime and help people is to start taxing the rich and start funding the government in a better way and start having that is truly trickle down economics. Not what the Republicans say. We all know that's BS at this point, but really in order for us to, to, to help on the back end, we got to focus on the front end. I don't know if that answers your question, but um, yeah, well, I, I, I think mean, we're looking at it, it the wrong way. It, it, it does from the extent that, you know, we definitely need to look at prevention. But I think where I was going at is, I agree with all of the uh, most of the reforms that are out there. I do think that we need to provide. We have to need to get rid of cash bail for a lot. I don't think we need to get rid of cash bail for everything. But what I'm saying though is, I think though that on the left, the people that were pushing policy and everything else, they were doing so. I don't even really disagree with what they accomplished, but they did it in a manner in which you know it did come off to where. There wasn't a, a true center. You, It was a very polarized issue. And I think the polarization is what's hurting us right now because mm -hmm. there's still, I mean, think about it. Think about the social media people we follow. Now, granted, I have a, I have a little bit more of the, the liberal center, meaning, you know, I have friends who are hardcore liberals, but they also they ain't around for the BS and, you know, they, they see through some of that stuff. But I think that, you know, a lot of people who are driving this discussion, when you would talk about police reform they're like we don't believe you can't reform this you mm -hmm. can't you know that you know so so when the, when the people who are and, and they're very reticent to say anything pro-police i mean there sometimes they're, you know they don't even when a police officer gets shot you i'm a little reluctant to go ahead and just say damn rest in peace officer so-and-so yeah same um, i just think that what we accomplished was good but we also did it at tearing down the police have done a lot to tear down the relationship between the streets and the community. But the, but a lot of the activists have done a lot to tear down the relationship between the streets and the community as well. That's what I'm saying. Does that make any kind of sense? It's, it's look, I know what side of the issue I want to be on and who I'm closer to, 
but I don't like where they're taking me per se, as far as how far I need to go or what I need to shut up about to be on their side. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. This is the same kind of argument that we've kind of had over the years. This idea of I do believe that people on the far, 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 I do believe abolitionists, if they don't accomplish that, still will push us close to that, right, eventually. So in that sense, I feel like it's it's um, it's going to take, it's going to take everybody. It's going to take the center. It's going to take the far left. On some level, it's going to take the center right to say, we have to fix this out because it's not working right now. So I, I do see what you're saying, and I, and I get it. I just think everyone's input is valid it's just a matter of of getting right. on the same page. oh and i know and i know you said that for sure i, I get it yeah right i think because if we're going to reduce crime it's going to be let's put it this way i really think and i and i and i'm now going to push back on the folks who say well you shouldn't do any of this no the reality is if we the, the goal is not to lock people up the goal is to make our streets safer and it's one thing to go ahead and lock someone up and after they've you know, smashed and grabbed or shot somebody, but it's a whole nother thing to create an environment where they don't resort to that, which you kind of covered a few, you know, you covered a few minutes yeah. ago. I, and, and I will tell you that while I don't necessarily go as far as the abolitionist, I do think they're not reckless in the regard that they at least are saying, this is how you're going to do it. But they're not saying we put, people should be able to wild out and we do nothing, although that's how it comes off. They're saying, no, we need to get to the root levels of crime. And so I do think, and I think that's the thing, though, but they've created an environment where I think the two extreme factions are not going to sit at the table. Then you have politicians in the middle who are just going to be opportunistic and play to their base as opposed yeah. to really having peacemakers. So that's my that was my next prediction. So your next prediction. My next prediction kind of ropes into that. We, we touched upon it. Uh, we're, I'm going to make a prediction about COVID, but I'm going to disclaim it by saying things will always change, right? A lot of experts made predictions that went left. So I'm going to try to do my best to kind of have a nuanced prediction here. My prediction is December 23, we're recording this at the end of the year. At the end of the year, 2022, we I think the experts will believe that we are in the next phase of this pandemic, which is a, a endemic phase of it, right? This idea that it's more localized. It's there's still cases, there's still deaths, but it's more um, red hot zones across the country as opposed to the entire country being red. And the reason I say that is for a few reasons. And I'll let you get into it, but I think more people will be vaccinated. Um, I think what we're seeing with Omicron, although it's ripping through people pretty pretty fast, experts believe as of now that it's less deadly and less severe cases which is a clue that maybe the next variant will be transmissible, but not won't be as, as deadly, right? That's what they're hoping at this point, that the deadliest variant is Delta, they're hoping, because we could go down from there. Not only that, but uh, we saw this week two antiviral pills, oral, that over-the-counter that people will be able to have, that instead of hospitals having to take uh, unvaccinated or vaccinated people who are super sick, you go to your doctor, you say, I got tested for COVID, I'm positive, I have symptoms, they'll be able to slide you a pill and you'll be able to take it three to five days. And, and it'll, as of right now, it's dropping severe cases down 90%, which is like a miracle, right? I believe the only problem with that anti-oral drug is it's going to be uh, 
how much of how much stock do we have? This might be one of those things where it's ready to go now, but we don't have enough of it till the end of 2022. So I think by the end of 2022 with vaccinations, boosters, with kids being able to get vaccinated now, anti-oral pills, uh, more of the world being vaccinated, I think we will be um, on the downslope of the pandemic. Is the, That's my prediction. We'll be on the downtrend as, as where we are right now. Put it this way, that's not on my list, but as I was planning my list, I planned on putting it on my list. I just forgot to put it on my list. Um, <laughs> I I would I would agree with you that, well, put it this way. I, again, I, I, I hate being that, not giving quantifiable predictions, but I will say I do believe that it's going to still be with us, potentially even through the next election, uh, and it's going to be present. One of the things that I thought was really fascinating, I'm not sure if you heard that, they said that, you know, with the Omicron cases being um, slighter, but they they still have one question that they don't know because they don't know if it's less impactful because it's a weaker strain or because you got so many people who are vaccinated. So, and I don't think they have a large enough sample yet to really truly know if they do. I mean, I think I think there's a, a going to be. We're getting to a broader agreement that yeah, it's spreading faster, but it does not seem to be as severe. But I think now they're now they're if it is showing to be not as severe, they do have questions as to is it is it based upon your vaccination status as far as its severity, or if you have someone who's not vaccinated, um, does it still act the same way, right? So I I don't have you heard any studies on that but I, I know that was one of the questions i just that just popped into my on my radar a few days ago have you heard similar type of discussions about that yeah what what well I, I listened to a few podcasts about it and even but you've heard biden say this it's a it's an epidemic amongst the unvaccinated right that's what some people will say the other thing i will say is i i the reason this was on my mind is because I read an article where uh, 10 leading experts in the field made predictions about 2022 and COVID. And one of them put it into perspective with me. He's like, look, I know it's hard to see now, but pandemics do end, right? Pandemics do end. The 1918 flu, all that stuff ended eventually, right? And the way to do that is to vaccinate people. Polio ended eventually. There were still polio cases for years and years after the vaccine was there. But the more people get vaccinated, the more you have vaccine mandates for children, the more and more that happens with every year, it gets better and better. So to answer your question, I think they might not know if it's because we're all vaccinated, but that's how, that's why they want us all to get vaccinated because that's how you slow these things down, right? Is the more and more you get people vaccinated, the more and more you have a chance to slow down variants and to not have variants that to cycle through. So I don't know if that answers your question, but my response is basically the more and more that you do have vaccinations, it's not going to really matter about the variants. They're going to try to, to suss them out either way. Right. And I mean, and the last thing I'll say before we move into my next prediction is I think um, we need to, hopefully we're going to get to what you and I have talked about, which is we just need people for whenever we hit benchmarks, just keep doing what you're doing. Don't decide, oh, you know, the positivity numbers are down. I'm going to go ahead and just walk into a club and start making out with everybody, you know, that type of thing. You know, it's, it's you know, let's let's just take it very slow and, and everything else. So my next prediction is that um, I, maybe June, I think by June, 
Justice Stephen Breyer will re, will re, will announce his retirement. Oh, this I is spicy, that, I, John. I, I like it. I, I like I, it. I, I think, given some of the uncertainty in the Supreme Court and seeing what happened with uh, his girl, Notorious RBG, um, I think at some point in time, Breyer's going to just retire and allow uh, Mitch McConnell-led Senate uh, oversee his appointment, his replacement. Um, I, you know, because the court's in a in a precarious situation, and and the worst part about it is even if they do that. We've not changed the balance of the court. We're just keeping it from getting worse, and so that. But yeah, that's that's. I I'd like to think now. Maybe that's just wishful thinking. Maybe I'm trying to speak it into existence. But I think I think I think Stephen Breyer may retire before, uh, before, you know, in enough time for Biden to go ahead and name his replacement and have a Chuck Schumer-led Senate oversee that um, uh, confirmation process. Uh, before I before I respond, by the way, super spicy. I love it. I love it. It's not on my list, but I think it's a great uh, angle. Question: if, Let's say he retires tomorrow. Do they need sixty or fifty votes? Because Amy Amy only needed fifty, right? But they broke yeah. the filibuster. Yeah, the, and Mitch McConnell set a precedent, you know. Uh, so, but Democrats, we'll, we'll, I mean, don't they have to vote they, to make the filibuster? They will do it. Because they, right. they've got a lot of judges through already, so and don't forget, right. you might you also you, there might still be enough sane Republicans that that they'll also do that solid as well to say maybe not vote for him, but you know like this we stole one and this is the president's pick and they are the part you know maybe maybe not and don't forget I, I also wonder though too does this also motivate both bases in the election? I mean this will definitely happen, but I think before the election. But when people see the stakes and realize this, might this also be something else? That Because don't forget, what did Biden say he would do? What is his first Supreme Court appointment going to be? I think a black woman. A black, a black right. woman, right? So, you know, let's let's see how this goes. Let's see how this uh, goes. So, all right. Here's, your here's, what's your overall reaction? Uh, I like it. I, I, I think it's on his mind. I definitely think it's on Biden's mind. Um but here's what I will say. I've never seen a Supreme Court justice on Stephen Colbert. And uh, our our lovely, uh, the person we're talking about, uh, definitely was there. So I guess what I'm saying is he's waited a long time for that position. And it just doesn't strike me that he's going to give it up that easily. Maybe, maybe we get to June, July, he starts seeing polls and it doesn't look good for the House or the Senate. Maybe he does him a solid, but um, I just don't see it. So although I, I, I want it to happen and I'm wishful thinking as well, I just don't I don't think he'll give it up. But I will say this. The silver lining there is the Republicans have already ruined the Supreme Court that if they were to pull another thing, I think it'll all get blown up. I think it'll get to the point where Democrats are going to be like, cool, we're going to nine. We're going to 13. We're going to 15. Um, and blow it all up. So so I don't have faith that the Republicans will act in good faith, but I also think that Republicans are holding a bunch of grenades that don't want to go off either. All right. Sounds good. So what's your next prediction? Um, speaking of Republicans with grenades in their hands, <laughs> this one is interesting, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say it and then I'm gonna take it a step further. My prediction is that in 2022 
neither Trump or Matt Gates will be inside jail. And I'll take it a step further because there's also trials that take years. Neither of them will be indicted before 2002 is over. 22 is over. Matt Gates should have been indicted a year ago at this point. So um, that's my pessimistic view that I don't think Gates or Trump will be indicted in this year. I, that was on my list, but it was on the list with a little bit more optimism. Um, I, and I didn't put Gates in, but I will include Gates. Um, Trump will catch charges. Um, Indicted. If you hear what, Liz, yeah, if okay. you, if you hear what Liz Cheney's saying and what where where the January Sixth Commission is going, uh, and the fact that they're talking that there's more and more talk about a criminal referral being made to the Department of Justice. Additionally, if you look at how things are going in New York, um, and things are going in Georgia, he could potentially be facing charges. Also, um, just so you know about Gates. I think I, I expect to see something by first quarter of next year. Um, remember that uh, his partner in crime keeps getting his sentence delayed, and mm-hmm. that's because he's still giving him information. And, you know, you're not going after him to just to get some rando. You're going after him to get a, a member of Congress. Um, so, uh, and, and the thing is, is that it would have to... Now, to your point... I think it's something about 90 days. Like there's an unwritten rule. If Gates were to get, uh, put it this way, we won't have to wait until um, the end of the year. They usually, uh, as a courtesy, and because they don't want to be involved in politics, that case is quiet right now, but it will definitely go dead or dormant 90 days before the election if Gates has not been arrested already. It could also go dormant. It could go right back right away, you know, immediately. But um, I think I think um, both men now they might not be inside of jail. Although I would think Gates' charges would probably result in immediate arrest with no bail um, for any number of reasons. But um, I'm more optimistic about that. Uh, but you know, as we've talked about in previous episodes, I'm also you know I don't think a political strategy should be planned around that. I mean, if you get it, it's gravy. Um, but you know, if we don't, if we don't get either one, we, we have to keep moving, keep forging ahead. But I don't know. I, I, I think both men will be catching charges and I think they'll be catching charges, uh, before, before June is my prediction. I, uh, I definitely hope you're right. I definitely do hope that you're right. I'm being pessimistic because, uh, the system has let us down so much in the past. Uh, Matt Gates is more clear cut, obviously, than Trump is. There's a lot of uh, nuance and gray area with Trump as opposed to Matt Gates. But um, I'm just being pessimistic. I do have a question for you about the January 6th commission. It's, it's just it's just logistical if you have any idea. If they don't wrap up their case before the midterms and we lose control of the House, does the commission stay or do they? does the speaker majority can change it or... Yeah, the speaker, but someone said something that, that, but now this is going to sound really funny to you because I know, I think I know where you land on this particular person, but it's true. Someone said, yeah, the Democrats will lose and maybe the commission ends, but Merrick Garland will still be attorney general for another two years. I do think you put it this way. They will have a work product done mm-hmm. before there, there's a change. I will also tell you that Benny Thompson indicated that yeah they're going to have you know we're going to have hearings in the first quarter, and I think I th- and and Liz Cheney even I think they're very mindful of the re- of the political realities, so I don't think that 
an incoming Republican majority will get will get rid of the January sixth commission. I think the January sixth commission will be done. Will have okay. its work done before there is a change. And it might, you know, I still believe. I want to believe we can we can win the majority. But it seems like, unlike Stephen Breyer, they see the writing on the wall. So they know they their goal is to have all of the substantive business done and complete it before there's even a change or potentially a change in leadership of the house. That's my understanding. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think they'll they'll I think they'll wrap up at the end of the summer. Worst case, right? That's probably their ceiling. But I will also say this: there's time, right? The election's in November, but people aren't sworn in until January, if I'm not mistaken. So there is there is time for them to wait and see. If they're getting close and they want more time, they can wait for the election. If we keep it, then they'll be like, cool, let's just push it. And if not, then they'll release their findings in November, December before things uh, switch over. This isn't on my list. This is just I'm just plucking it out of thin air right now if republicans win the house is mccarthy the speaker or no that's just a prediction i say no um if you watch the pundits they have some kind of formulae formulas where they say if it's a big majority yes if it's a small majority no i think he will be either way yeah that's if trump says it's him it's gonna be him is my is my kind of thing all right so it's your turn right yeah no no i i oh yes Yes. I said Matt Gates or yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yes. Yes. So it's me. Um, Well, my prediction is this and it's qualified. Um, I predict both build back better and the John Lewis or just voting rights itself will pass, but there's a caveat. Um, It could be, it it may, they may be extremely watered down. Um, I, I, I would like to think, I would like to think that, um, they both will be strong and have teeth. I do think they'll be. I think both will be effective, but will they be as effective as we've been? As we those who are those of us who've been wanting both have expectations. I think we will get something substantive, but yet watered down. But it goes back to what we've been talking about before, and I I, I know that a lot of people, myself included, were really angry with Joe Manchin and everything else. But if we don't get anything else than what we have already now, it's still a great, one of the most historic, um, you know, first years and, 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 and productive sessions of Congress ever. We need more. We want more. But we also have to take our wins. But I, but I do predict that. Um, now, now, just, you know, I personally would like to see people, I'd like to see Biden and, and everyone not negotiate with Joe Manchin, just make him wear the jacket. And then, you know, maybe the heat gets so bad on him, he just comes in. I, I put it this way, because part of me feels he's so hard to deal with. If we stop negotiating with him, we might have the same outcome than we would that we would if we negotiated with him and still end up with nothing. But I'm a little optimistic that we're going to have both Build Back Better and voting rights. But I'm not going to, but I do have concerns about if they will be as significant as we hope they would be. Yeah, that's fair enough. I don't, I don't, that's not on my list. I don't think I have a prediction because it's so, it's just so back and forth, right? I can't really read it. I I can't tell when Manchin first said what he said, it was clear to me that he never intended on voting for Build Back Better ever. But then a lot of Twitter pundits came on and said, Manchin does this. He uses this 
to get what he wants. And then he always ends up kind of voting for Democrats and voting with the Democrats uh, anyways. So maybe I am wrong and I just don't know enough. But I will ask you this question. I will say I think the voting rights bill is going to be more likely to pass than Build Back Better. But my question revolves around both. I've read that there's negotiations to maybe do what Manchin wants with Build Back Better in exchange for him breaking the filibuster on the Voting Rights Act. So we might go to him and be like, we'll water down Build Back Better, but you got to we were going to break the filibuster for voting rights and make it just a simple majority. Have you heard kind of that? Is that kind of something that kind of might happen? No, but I will tell you hearing that, I don't think it's a bad move. And then I guess the question would be, especially now that you've had the bipartisan infrastructure bill. uh, And I don't know if this is something that would make Manton happy, but are there any elements, are there any elements of the current build back better bill that could be ripped out and passed the Senate with 60 votes, right? Uh, is there, you know, is there, but see, the Republicans are such bad faith actors. I don't think, and I don't think that even though we got the, even though we got the bipartisan infrastructure bill, I just don't trust them. But I wonder, is there anything that could be stripped out of Build Back Better that would, you know, lessen the package, but would still pass the Senate? Might that be something that could be there? You know, I, I do. I, I, do you think and do you think that Manchin really truly expected the blowback he got, or do you think that he felt that he had all the power that no one was going to clap back on him? I mean, I think he knew the far left would, but I don't think he really anticipated that the White House would step to him the way that they stepped to him. And I don't think, and I'm sure there's some members of his own caucus that are kind of giving him the egg um do you think that he do you think that the reaction he got was the reaction he anticipated or do you think he might even uh have uh not really truly game planned it as far as its impact on him and how he will be viewed for making that move Mm, i think there's not a I believe in coincidences. I just don't believe in that many coincidences. He went on Fox News without telling Biden that he was going to do that. And that seems like a purposeful move to me. And in that sense, I I do think he expected blowback that he wanted. I think he wanted to blow it up. I think, John, correct me if I'm wrong. He kept asking for things that get to get taken out of Build Back Better. And we kept kind of giving him what he wanted. And then maybe he got to the point where he's like, they just want to pass this and I can't get out of it. And he wanted to get out of it. And the only way to do that was to blow it up. And so maybe he expected the blowback, but maybe he needed it to kind of get out of the situation. Um, Do you think it's good political strategy? Let's say we reach a point in March, April, where we know for sure Build Back Better is not going to pass. Do you think it's good political strategy to individualize everything that's in the bill and hold a vote for every single thing to make Republicans and Joe Manchin and Cinema be like, no, I'm not voting for child tax credits. No, I'm not voting for infrastructure funding. No, I'm not voting for climate change funding. Or do you think this is just a waste of time? Um, I'm kind of of no. And there's some reasons for it. And one of the reasons that I've that makes sense to me that someone said recently is all of that are all of those are Biden priorities. So if all of those Biden priorities get voted down, 
does there is there blowback on Biden? Right? Is there mm-hmm. blow? Does it make does the does it make Biden look ineffective? Does it make Biden look weak? Does it hurt Biden? And I don't necessarily know if that's not a bad you know if if that's a wrong headed, um, a point is what I'm saying. I so I'm not a big fan of that because I think I and I also think that the American public, those who are actually the semi pay attention folks, right, who are not, um, you know, those who those who are just like, that's what I'm looking for, um. You know, those who sit there and they hear poll results and everything else, like, oh, Biden's doing bad. I think for the people who aren't engaged, who just hear the, the surface headlines and are upset with the dysfunction in Washington, I don't think they need to hear that. I'd rather go ahead and get it as quick and efficiently as possible. And I'd rather just cut out what we cut out without hanging out people to dry. We know what the squad's going to do. We know what the folks on the far, far left will do in the activist community. But what we need is we need to get this done and just start running on what's done. Because as I said, even if we don't get anything else, we have enough to run on. And I think for people like me, especially the people I work with, we just want to start running on something. And I think we have enough to run on. And all that other stuff, all those those statement votes or messaging votes at this point, they don't serve us any purpose other than just to make people think that we're a dysfunctional party. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I sometimes want to have people walk the plank that they that they uh, call your bluff on, but um, I don't know. At this point, it might just be theater for that matter. I don't know if it brings in voters or not. Um, I will go into my fourth prediction because it kind of links in with Build Back Better a little bit. I wanted to make a prediction about climate change, and I, I just didn't want it to be like there's going to be a massive earthquake in Japan or wildfires in California. Um, I don't want to put that in the universe. I don't want to have that kind of karma into the world. So what I will say is this. I believe there is a catalyst events, a Franz Ferdinand events, if you will, regarding climate change that pushes the conversation to the to the brink, right? Right now, it's a tug of war of people who don't think it's real versus the alarmists, right? And I believe there's an event that happens. Um, it might not be like a death toll or it might not be anything, but something, ha- it might just be a, a nuclear reactor that, that goes bad or something like that, right? Where I believe we'll get pushed to the brink of the conversations to say, all right, enough's enough, guys. The, the world's that sake here and we all have to team together and do something. So my prediction is that there's a, a, a big catal- catalyst event in, in climate change. It's kind of general, but I, I don't want to put like, a massive earthquake in Japan on the on the on the in the universe, you know. Well, well, here's a question: might we might we have already had that? And what I mean by that is, um, Kentucky, Missouri, and Southern Illinois got their asses kicked in that last piece. <clears throat> I, was that tornado which happened this year? It from the standpoint of might you see attitudes changing in the places in which they need to change. You don't need to change the attitude in Chicago. You don't need to change the attitude in New York City. You do not need to change the attitude in Los Angeles. You don't need to change the attitude in Seattle, uh, Boston, or Philadelphia. But you do need to change it in Louisville. You do need to change it in uh, St. Louis and Kansas City. Does it... Will it and, and so when you talk about that event, 
might that event, one, have already happened? Two, is it even an event as much as it is just a greater awareness of we've got to do something because of all, you know, Texas and other places? Might some of the communities or constituencies that have had, that have been represented by elected officials who have not done right by it, might those folks change? And it might not even be a, a, an event. It might, well, uh, one event itself, it might be the nickel and diming. It might just be kind of a piecemeal uh, approach based upon the current realities that people have been living through for a while. Yeah, it's a good point because what we've seen and uh, what government officials from Kentucky and those places have said is this is the worst thing we've ever seen we've ever had here. But here's the problem, right? Rand Paul, who famously votes against assistance on every single uh, natural disaster, begged Biden for for aid, right? And he's going to go and be like, look, I made Biden give us aid and he's going to campaign on that and do that whole thing. The problem is, I don't know if the voters in the moment are going to be like, Rand Paul got us aid, so we're fine. Or are they going to be like, holy shit, we've never seen anything like this before. We actually need to pay attention. I just don't know. I just don't know, right? Because here's the thing. Once in a lifetime, tornadoes could just be that. It just could be once in a lifetime, right? It's hard to, you could sit down with a, with a climate change expert and be like, look, these once in a lifetime events are happening every five years now, but that might not get across. But what might get across is, what if that Texas grid goes down again? I don't want it to, right? People were suffering, and I obviously don't want bad things to happen. But what if that Texas grid goes down again from another snowstorm, and they're just like, "Well, all right, one was a little bit weird, but back to back years." And and what what is Ted Cruz and Abbott doing about this, right? So it might be something like that, where repeated events that are more common, California wildfires, stuff like that, that's going to continue to happen, unfortunately. So so I, I see what you're saying, and we might have had that moment already. I just wonder if it gets to the brink more. Uh, in this coming winter and 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 and, and right. spring. Well, like I say, I still believe that what what will happen is it'll probably come from uh, a situation where there's going to be people in Hurricane Alley and some of those other places who are just going to finally say, "I'm sick of this." Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm sick of this. I th- I, th- I I literally think that's where uh, it it will land. It will land. So. Um, and, and, and I hope so. I mean, it, and to your point, you know, hopefully we'll see something and build back better. Um, you know, climate is, is a very scary thing. Um, but I also wonder too, though, and I'd love to, you know, maybe even talk to some folks in the climate world. We're doing a lot of great innovation and a lot of things to help out. I wonder if there's any, not in the in the short term, but in the long term. As we right the ship and sort of start getting things right, I wonder if there'll be any research and technologies invested in trying to not only stop the damage to the planet, but to start repairing the damage to the planet, and if that's even doable, right? Um, it's and I think that's kind of the good news, bad news about mod, the modern times is. 
we are probably both benefiting from the fact that technology has saved us and we are possibly being a disservice by, I'm sure there's a ton of folks who don't take it seriously because they think at some point in time, somebody will invent something that will correct us. Do you understand what I'm saying about that? Mm-hmm. It, 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 part of me wonders if, 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 so I think it's good and bad. I think I like the optimism of thinking that there may be some stuff out there that will really truly help us. But I also feel like that's also going to be the thing that could potentially hurt us because we'll be operating from the standpoint of thinking, oh, we don't need to do anything because we got scientists working on some type of solution. Yeah. It's almost like that, that movie kind of um, expectation, like, oh, well, Bruce Willis will go up there and they'll fix it and we'll be all right. Uh, I think maybe part of it is, I don't want to use the word messaging here, but I, I just wonder I think people look at climate change as people who don't necessarily believe in it. And they just think, well, there's snow outside. What are you guys actually talking about? But we have to look at climate change, like um, the baby steps, right? Like food scarcities, um, coastal cities being drowned, earthquakes, winter storms that are more frequent, right? Chicago had a tornado for the first time in 60 years, like stuff like that, where it's just like, Oh, it's, it's not going to be this, big massive asteroid that's coming to the earth as much as it's going to be your your daily life is going to change because you have to now deal with all these things that we can't control anymore so i wonder if it's just a messaging thing where we just have to hammer home that this is going to affect you especially in those red states in alabama georgia florida texas where you might see it before uh the midwest and, and, and and places see it so maybe it's just trying to get people into their heads Right. Well, and just so you know, we, it's time to wind down. And I actually got all my sp- spots in because my two, number two was the fact that Dems overperform in November, which we talked about at the beginning of, of the pod. And the other one was Trump will, will see charges. So um, I've got all of mine. Do you have do you have any anything before we wrap up? Do you have any other? I have one other? more, but it's 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 okay, an easy it. one. It's not a nuanced one. Basically, right. it's a three parter. I think I think Beto wins. I think Abrams wins. And the third one, I just wanted to have a wild card. I think The Rock finally gets his foot in. I don't think he runs for office anywhere. I think The Rock stakes a position in the political world somewhere in 2022. God, I hope not. We need... we No, I, I, he hasn't done anything that would even qualify him for that. I'd rather see... Rob Reiner, hell, I'd rather see Susan Sarandon. I'm joking about Susan Sarandon. What I'm saying <laughs> is, he's, so, yeah. he's got he's got no record to run on. He's got no. Yeah, you know, it, it, I, it, I don't think he it, runs. I just think he, maybe he backs somebody, or maybe he campaigns for some somebody where he just puts or, his foot. Or, or, or better yet, if I want if you want me to take him seriously in anything, I want him to pick any issue and go to work on that issue. I want him to whether it's going ahead testifying in front of Congress about CTE and we got to do something about making sports safer for, for football players. He needs to do something. He just can't be the rock and run. I need to see him caring about something other than what it takes to get elected. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I don't think he should run for anything, but I do think he pivots and he might not run for anything. I think he's too big. I think he's too happy. I think he's too rich to ruin his life by getting into politics. But I do think he probably takes a claim in something Uh, amongst with, I think Beto and and Abrams win. It's kind of the general prediction there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So 
on that note, uh, Happy New Year. So for now, this is John signing off. This is Friday signing off. Thanks for joining us, guys. <laughs>